This just in, the ongoing comic book discussion podcast confirms comic books are cool. Welcome to another spooky installment of Ongoing Comic Book Discussion Podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Tess. (laughs) (laughs) This episode, we are wrapping up Afterlife with Archie with the basically the second half of the series and uh, issues, what, six through ten, I believe? Yes, six through ten. We're halfway through. And... Oh man, it's it's been fun. This one's been a good one. <laughs> oh my gosh, compared to the first one, this one I was like, oh, it, it, there was so much going on, and it was so good, and it was a one a, another one of those things. Like, did they go there? Oh yes, they went there. They they keep going there. That's the <laughs> yeah. thing. That's what's great about it. And yeah, this this back half to the series as a whole, yeah, everything is it's kind of lining up. Everything's ramping up, and you know we're getting tying up loose ends and creating new new loose ends to to uncover. So it's yeah. a lot of stuff's happening. It's really cool. Yeah, I hope they make a TV show or a movie out of this because it's good. Also, I thought that Volume 2 was the end of the series, but it's not. It ends in a cliffhanger. It does end on a cliffhanger, but it sort of is the end of the series because there, because there hasn't been a new issue. Oh, and so, what year was the Volume 2? Do well, you know? yeah, I am looking right now at the first issue. I'm talking while I'm quickly trying <laughs> to scroll, and if my He's tablet scrolling. would... Update. Ah, here we go. It looks like it came out in 2014. That's, oh. That's not good. Meaning, oh. meaning, I don't know if they're going to finish this. Maybe it just ends on the cliffhanger. I mean, what are they going to do? I mean, we'll, we'll just, I guess we'll discuss it at the end. But like, yeah, how, well, how could, I, I mean, mean, while we're talking about it here, I mean, they did say next issue. They gave, they even gave it a name. Yeah. So I, I, you know. I'm sure somebody out there knows what's going on. I truthfully yeah. don't follow uh, comic book news. I, mm-hmm. I I don't really even follow any pop culture news like movies or, or video games or anything like that anymore. Um, I just can't keep up with it all. So I don't. Maybe I'm sure somebody out there has, has said something about if there's no Archie yeah. coming, but we don't. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I'm curious. It would be a good next issue where they could wrap up everything. But also, they always keep going there. Maybe they just were like, you know what? We'll just let them. We'll just let everybody be in chaos. It's you know, like they they go there. They make us. Yeah. Want, you know what I mean? Like yeah, we we can make our own stories one. moving forward. I guess. <laughs> yeah, and then they all lived happily ever after. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean. Zombily oh. ever after. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, let's let's dive into issue six. Yes. Let's um, do it. Yeah, and you have uh, with uh, with our our breakdown as usual. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is at, at the beginning of each chapter, it says Betty R.I.P. and then it'll say like the title after it, and but every single one starts with Betty R.I.P. Yeah. So yeah. So this arc, this like like how we talked about on Batwoman, like the elegy arc. This mm-hmm. fi- uh, five issue arc is called Betty R.I.P. Okay. Oh, <laughs> hello. Wake up. That's <laughs> so, no, that's okay. Right. That's day. Hey, that's why that we're here. Called. That's why we're here. Thanks, so th- 
So this is the this is the overall overarching uh, arc is what this one is referred. I'm I'm really quickly going back to the other ones to see what the other name was. Um, uh, oh, I think it was that one was called Escape from Riverdale. Like the first oh, five yeah, issues, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. were called Escape from Riverdale. This one's called Betty R.I.P. Oh, I was like every issue. I'm like Betty's gonna die in this one. But he's gonna die in this one. Yeah, oh, like so. For thing. example, like um, issue four is is called Escape from Ris- Riverdale is the name of it, but it's chapter four, Archibald Rex. Like that was what issue mm-hmm. four was called, Archibald Rex. But it was a part. It's a part of the Escape from Riverdale collection. Le- like Hellboy, Seat of Destruction, kind of thing. A hundred percent correct. Yes. Okay. So this. Cool. So I'm if, it. <laughs> so if we actually if we had these on like trade paperbacks as opposed mm-hmm. to on our tablet because we're we're reading these on Comicsology, um, mm-hmm. it would say like on the spine it would probably say Afterlife with Archie, Escape from Riverdale, and then Afterlife with Archie, Betty Betty colon R I P. Like that's what it would say Got like it. on the spine. Gotcha. Yeah. So don't forget what the volume's called. All right. <laughs> Here we go. And this one just starts out with a quote, much like the last one. It kind of like starts in a quote. And if you could just imagine Vincent Price's voice as I talk. In his house at Relea, dead Cthulhu waits dreaming. Mysterious. The chapter begins with Sabrina and her boyfriend Harvey Kinkle laying on a beach enjoying the sun. The two lovebirds decide they want to go scuba diving, even with the strange dark thunderheads gathering in the distance. A boat arrives with a captain that looks like a demon to Sabrina, but when she blinks, he turns back into the chipper captain he just was. They take the boat out into the ocean where Sabrina and Harvey dive in, strangely breathing underwater without scuba gear. All of a sudden, she loses Harvey and can no longer breathe freely underwater. She tries to swim to the surface for air, but a tentacled sea monster grabs her legs and pulls her even farther underwater. We now see that Sabrina is actually telling someone this detailed frequent nightmare to a man named Dr. Lovecraft. Sabrina also mentions that she always wakes up from her nightmare to someone playing loud music. Dr. Lovecraft says that music comes from another patient of his, and he asks Sabrina if she would like to change rooms. Hmm. Sabrina is not at the Spellman Mortuary at all, but rather at a care facility of sorts. Sabrina asks the doctor about her aunts, but he says that's impossible. They're dead. He warns her never to speak about witches or nether realms ever again. They're delusions. Confused and frustrated, Sabrina starts to walk out the door when she catches a tentacled shadow monster playing off the wall behind the doctor. Much like the captain in her dream, she blinks and the strange shadow has disappeared. Dr. Lovecraft ends their conversation by saying, It may not feel like it, but you are getting better. Later at a group chat with Dr. Matchin and other patients, Sabrina starts to introduce herself as Sabrina Spellman, but quickly changes it to, uh, Sabrina Sawyer. Dr. Matchin asks how Sabrina got there. She starts to tell the story we all know and love about how she once had ants who told her she was a witch when she turned 16, but according to Dr. Lovecraft, this is a fictional tale she has to cope with. She also goes on to tell the story about Hot Dog and how she used necromancy to bring him back to life. She says her house burned down, her ants were inside, and they died, but she survived. Just like the captain in her dream and Dr. Lovecraft, for a split second, Dr. Matchin briefly looks, briefly looks like a demon but turns back into a human. He says, oh, don't fret about that, Sabrina. We'll help you sort through all of that. Later that day outside the care facility, Sabrina tries to use her powers to levitate. She knows what she remembers was real and she just needs to tap into her powers again. 
At that moment, the music prodigy patient, the same musician who wakes Sabrina from her nightmares while playing in his room, approaches Sabrina. His name is Eric. He explains that he has to keep playing music to, quote, keep them from coming through. Eric says Dr. Lovecraft is not a doctor at all, but rather a procurer. He warns her not to take the medicine anymore because it is hindering her wish powers. She must try to figure out a way to escape. She could be their only hope. That night, a nurse, who again looks like a demon for a second, then goes back to being human, gives Sabrina her pills. While Sabrina stares at the pills, trying to figure out how to pretend like she took them, Jughead enters the room with Hot Dog in his arms. He thanks Sabrina for saving his pup. But Hot Dog is not a hot dog at all, and Jughead is no longer human. They are both in zombie form, and their zombie gang gathers behind them. Sabrina awakes from the sniper, but she doesn't quite awake to music. Curious, she goes to Eric's room to see why he is not playing his violin. She knocks on the door. In a terrified voice, Eric tells Sabrina that he can't play music because Dr. Lovecraft chopped off his fingers. She opens the door to an empty room with only his violin in in the corner. Eric has obviously been taken, but to where? Sabrina confronts Dr. Lovecraft. He says Eric tried to take his own life, so they moved him to another facility. Sabrina tells the doctor that if he is lying to her, she will find out. As Sabrina runs away, Lovecraft tells Dr. Matchin she's doing exactly what she's meant to do, author. This was all foretold. Her story, its ending, it's already been written. Sabrina runs outside to find another patient painting on a canvas. His name is Richie. He takes her to a room filled with paintings of beasts and caves. Richie explains that these monsters took Eric. They are old gods, pre-Bible gods. Lovecraft is using Richie's paintings to bring the old gods back. He is also using Eric's music to control them, and everything is going according to plan. Richie shows Sabrina the church that is being built for these old gods. It is being built by the other patients throughout the day. Dr. Lovecraft and Matchin catch Sabrina and Richie talking and quickly put Sabrina to sleep with sleeping gas. Sabrina dreams she is getting ready to marry Harvey. Betty and Veronica are her bridesmaids. Her aunts, Hilda and Zelda, walk her down the aisle to Harvey at the altar. Her aunts tell her, none of this was an accident. The book, the dog, the gates of hell opening. Sabrina awakes to find that she has been escorted to the edge of a bluff overlooking the Atlantic Ocean. Dr. Lovecraft, Dr. Matchin, Sabrina's aunts, and the other patients and witches walk behind her. She realizes her wrists are bound by ropes that cut off her powers. Sabrina asks the doctors how they found her. They said they found her in witch limbo, otherwise known as the nether realm. She also asks about everyone back in Riverdale. They tell her that the world of man is over. At that moment, Sabrina remembers a movie she saw with Harvey called Wicker Man, where a pagan cult traps a poor policeman inside a giant wicker totem and burns him alive inside. He was a virgin sacrifice. Sabrina asks the witches if she is a sacrifice. They inform her that Eric was actually the sacrifice, but there are greater plans for Sabrina's fate. Her aunts tell Sabrina that it's natural to be scared on your wedding night. He chose you. Terrified, Serena looks out into the ocean to see a towering, tentacled demon creature with giant back wings rising from the ocean. She realizes she awoke the demon with a spell intended to awake Hot Dog. Lovecraft shouts, All hail Sabrina Spellman, Queen of Carcosa, Bride of Cthulhu. Oh, man. (laughs) That was a heck of an issue. Yes, it are, was. <laughs> so I got to ask, how familiar are, familiar are you with H.P. Lovecraft, horror, and Cthulhu, etc.? Well, I researched it, but before then, nothing. Uh, well, 
you had a little experience, but you might not have known it because of Hellboy draws very oh. much from H.P. Lovecraft and Cthulhu. Um, you've seen the Ron Perlman Hellboy movie, right? The Guillermo del Toro Hell- Hellboy movie? Oh, yeah. I love that one. Okay, so the big creatures that are in space that they're trying to wake up, you know, that Rasputin's mm-hmm. trying to wake up, that, that's essentially Cthulhu-esque. You know, it's it, it's not Cthulhu, but it, it it's what they were kind of like, you know, alluding to. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm I've never read um, uh, the Call of Cthulhu. I actually just picked up my first H.P. Lovecraft book, um, probably a Is couple months sick? ago. Yeah, it's 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 short stories, and okay. like he's like Stephen King. Like a lot of his short stories got turned into movies and stuff. And I read the first one, which is uh, about Dagon, which is like this like water monster. But yeah, so this whole issue is i mean it's obviously the her do- the doctor is hb lovecraft mm-hmm. um i don't know who the other doctor's supposed to be but i assume it's a either it's either another horror writer or it's a character that hb lovecraft created okay. uh dr michonne or macon or whatever uh yeah. his name was yeah um but like so <laughs> it's like holy moly like Sabrina, like there's no there's no saving Riverdale. Like you, no. you think so yeah. we find out that that she was basically taken out of witch purgatory um and be made the bride of Cthulhu because of what she did, fulfilling basically her prophecy. Mm-hmm. This is a very bleak issue. Yeah, and it's crazy because in the first issue, her aunts were like, you're going to go to the nether realm for forever. And I was like, they certainly, they wouldn't because every single time that we see Sabrina in any sort of media, her aunts love her. But here they're like encouraging this terrible fate upon her. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, they're not at all good. (laughs) No, they're, they're, no, they're not. (laughs) No, not at all. So, I mean, and the takeaway at the end of this is that uh, she's becomes the bride of Cthulhu. Cthulhu. Yeah. And, oh, um, there's a description. Um, you guys should check out that panel. I mean, if you read it, gosh, it's just, he just takes up the entire page. He's this giant creature. He, it looks, it says, um, online, I saw that it, the description is, looks like an octopus, a dragon, and a character of human form. And it also has bat wings. Yeah. <laughs> a, I mean, th- there's been, I mean, Funko Pop has made, you know, uh, toys of Cthulhu. Oh. There's even, like, a, a, there's a whole merchandising based around, like, cutesy Cthulhu stuff. Like, <laughs> very cute little, you know, baby. But it looks exactly like that monster with the bat wings, the squid head, sort of a human-esque, you know, body and obviously like massive. But I mean, I think having not ever read H.P. Lovecraft, I think the version that we see in this Afterlife with Archie is pretty much an exact representation of what Cthulhu looks like in H.P. Lovecraft's books. Gotcha. And I wonder why they brought in H.P. Lovecraft. Like maybe the artist, uh, the authors just loved him or they... You know, yeah, no, I, I, uh, that's in the very back of the issue. It's like in the first paragraph of the little letters area. Um, oh, okay. they, the, yeah, he, the writer said that uh, him and the artist were just massive H.P. Lovecraft fans, so they found this way to sort of make an H.P. Lovecraft sort of story in this world. Wow. Yeah. And um, 
even in in the issue, um, Sabrina asks about her aunts, and he's like, Lovecraft's like, no, they're dead. And then she's like, how's Riverdale? And they're like, uh, human life is no more. Like, the zombie apocalypse has commenced. It's happening. Everyone's dead. It's it, yeah. There's no safety here. No one's coming to save them. It, yeah. It's in another issue later where someone says, you know, isn't this about the time where Sabrina should just come in and, and fix everything with the snap of a finger? And yeah. it's just... And they even say, like, isn't that how these things go? And it, it's not happening because she's the bride of Cthulhu. And yeah. we even see that at the very, very end, jumping ahead to the, you know, the last issue with Reggie. Mm-hmm. She's just straight up possessed by a Cthulhu. Yeah, her eyes are like white, glazed over. She's just, and that's the thing is, ish, uh, the next couple issues, but she does make an appearance again. And I want to know what happens to her story because, as you'll see, that's the only other time that we see her again, and I'm so interested. But I am glad that they did make a Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which you guys listened to two episodes ago. Um, it, it, I like that they were like, you know what? This Sabrina character's good. Let's make a whole world about this. Let's explain how dark her ants really are. I, you and know? I'm with you, although the, the, the flip side of that coin is, is that it's not the same universal Sabrina. It's not the same Sabrina as this one is. Correct. It's, it's, yeah. it's kind of how we, with Batwoman, you know, how we talk about just a few minutes ago in reviewing the first issue or episode of Batwoman for CW, we talked mm-hmm. about how it's a separate universe. And yeah. that's kind of how, like, this is a separate universe from the Riverdale TV show, from, it's a separate universe from the Sabrina comic, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina comic, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina Netflix show, and it's a separate universe from just the regular Archie, you know, comic books themselves. I love that. I love that. God, I love comics. Because <laughs> you have the freedom to do whatever you want. And yeah. this issue was so good. Just what a fantastically macabre standalone issue. Mm-hmm. The art is outstanding. The little hidden things like when when uh, Dr. Lovecraft is like talking to her, his shadow is like tentacles. There's like eyeballs in the shadows on his back. You mm-hmm. know, they the art just adds so much layer to to what you're seeing and then what happens is is just like you know the story that it's telling is just it's horrifying like the kid who plays the violin you don't see it but he's he's you know yelling at sabrina apparently the doctor cut off his fingers because the and then sacrificed him to one of the the gods the the cthulhu (laughs) god i mean it's crazy this is dark it's dark (laughs) make no mistake afterlife with archie is a horror comic book first Mm-hmm. I, I I, mean, you and I read this on Comixology, but I want to own these two volumes. Like, so good. So good. So incredibly good. <laughs> uh, do you have any, any other takeaways from this issue, or should we move on to the next one? No, let's move on to the next one. Okay. All right. Do you? No, no, no. It's 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 just, I mean, it's awesome. It's bleak. It's, it's a great standalone issue. I actually really, really like this issue. Yeah. All right. Chapter 7, Dear Diary. Quote, this is what it must have been like that first Thanksgiving in the New World. Throughout this chapter, Betty writes in her diary. On her birthday many years ago, Betty is gifted with a diary from her parents. They want to pass on the importance of writing down events, thoughts, and the like. Her parents express how proud they are of Betty's accomplishments. Her sister Polly comments, unlike me, right? Betty and Polly's parents say they love both of their daughters equally and want the best for both of them. 
Polly is mean to Betty and says she probably doesn't have anything interesting to write about because her life is so dull. Betty writes about when she met Veronica, the prettiest girl in school, and how her friendship confuses her because she doesn't think she's as cool as Veronica. Back at home, Polly says Veronica's dad cheats on her mom and that's why she is a spoiled little princess. Betty writes about a new family that moved in next door. This family just happens to be Archie's family. Archie and Betty can see each other from their bedroom windows and wave to each other a lot. Betty writes about the day that Veronica met Archie and how any chance she might have had with the red-headed dreamboat is officially over. Betty writes about how Veronica didn't put Betty on the cheerleading squad and how she is slowly but surely growing to hate Veronica. Then she writes about how Veronica confided in Betty when her mom passed away. Maybe Veronica's not such a bad person after all. Now in the present, Betty is feverishly writing in a journal. Archie approaches her and asks if she is ready to proceed with the group. Turns out, Betty grabbed a blank journal from Smithers before they left Lodge Mansion. She wanted to write down all the memories of her life that she could remember because all of her journals were back home in the zombie-destroyed town of Greendale. Archie asks, Am I in it? You're all over it, says Betty. They share a kiss. Ooh. Betty writes in her diary about the zombie apocalypse and what has happened so far within the last four weeks since Jug Dead and Hot Dog infected Riverdale and grew a zombie gang. When Archie and Betty get back to the group, Archie tells everyone that he would like to take a moment to bury, bury the dead. Not literally, of course, because they're all a roaming pack of hungry zombies, but symbolically with wooden planks as gravestones. The group writes the names of the undead citizens of Riverdale on the wooden gravestones with chalk. They all take a moment to remember each person they knew and loved and will never see again. Well, not in human form anyway. Just then a group of zombies approach the group. They all start to fight them off successfully in all two normal situations since they escaped the Riverdale invasion. During the first week of the outbreak, Betty writes, the Riverdale group realizes the zombie outbreak has now spread to the people outside of Riverdale. Most of the zombies that attack them are no longer residents of the quaint little town. Dilton calculates that there must be over 200,000 infected people now. Archie suggests they keep up the plan to move towards the CDC in Pittsburgh. During the second week of the outbreak, they start to have dreams of Sabrina. They know she is the one to blame for starting the outbreak. Betty and Archie now have feelings for each other again and often sneak away from the group to have alone time. They don't want Veronica to feel hurt about the relationship. This is also the week of Thanksgiving. Mr. Lodge thinks they should do some hunting and gathering to create a Thanksgiving feast. He says they all need to hold on to the things that make us human. Flashback to seven years ago at the Blossom Mansion on Thanksgiving, the Blossom twins and their parents sit down at Thanksgiving dinner. They share with each other what they are most grateful for. Jason says he is most grateful for his twin sister. Cheryl says she is most grateful for her dog, Sugar. Flash forward to the present as the twins are walking through the woods to hunt a Thanksgiving feast. Cheryl brings up that she is still wondering how her beloved pup, Sugar, choked to death on her leash many years ago. A panel reveals Jason was actually the one to make this happen. This will be important in a moment. Veronica approaches Betty about her relationship with Archie. Veronica yanks Betty's diary from her hands and slaps her in the face with it. A shouting match begins between the two girls as Archie tries to calm them do both down. Everyone suddenly stops bickering when Cheryl Blossom exits the woods all covered with what looks to be like blood and mud. Cheryl says, Jason is dead. She also says her name is no longer Cheryl, but Blaze. That's right, Blaze. Betty writes, Dear Diary, I'm not sure, but I think Cheryl Blossom may have murdered her brother, Jason. Another chunky chapter. Whew. That was a pretty heavy one. Yeah. <laughs> with, yeah. With the whole twin thing going on. 
mm-hmm. I can't remember if I think it was the next issue, but they even say twincest at some point. Like, yeah. they, like even write out the words twincest. Yeah. Um, so they don't even try to, you know, hide it. But man, that what a deep issue. <laughs> That's really deep. I mean, they bury the dead and they have like a moment of silence. Like the fact that they even think that they have to do that, it's like, dang, like they do really realize that it is the end of the world. Like it's all over. And then it's funny that that the people that they literally were just mourning now appear right behind them yeah. to, to kill them. <laughs> um, I never knew that Betty had an older sister, Polly. I no idea about that. So I oh. don't know. I assume she's real. I don't know if she was made up just for this. She's I don't, in Riverdale. I I, okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So I yeah, no clue. Um, there's no resolution to the poly factor here, but I kind of got the sense, and by here I mean in the, in this whole uh, trade that we're talking about or this whole mm-hmm. arc. So assuming that they're not going to move forward, uh, we're not going to see anything else with it. But I got the sense that they're maybe peppering in her to Polly to show up later, you know, maybe, oh, maybe yeah, as yeah. like, maybe as like a bad head of a, of a bad gang or something that are surviving yeah. in the wasteland. I'll, uh, I'll something out of walking dead. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, I kind of got the sense that they were kind of doing something with Polly to put her to kind of, you know, lay a groundwork for something later, although it won't come to fruition as far as this, this goes. Yeah. Um, but I still liked it. You know, I still liked having that backstory about Betty and her sister and whatnot. And the fact that they blame Sabrina for the necromancy, they for all of this. For I mean, I guess it is her fault. She didn't have to bring a hot dog back to life, even though Jughead asked for it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and because they all had a dream about her, apparently they all dreamt yeah. that night about her. They all uh, they all had a dream that she was, you know, it was a different dream for all of them, but it involved Sabrina in some way. So you know, maybe she's reaching out and trying to communicate to them. Um, and they they do seem to understand that she's a, a witch. And I think this is the issue where someone said, "Where you know, where is she? Why didn't she just come here and say and fix this? Just right. come and fix this." Um, so I, you know, and, and they had to address that. They had to address the fact of like where is she and why isn't you know she fixing all of this um Mm -hmm. but all in all i thought it was a a solid issue and uh but i think the the meat of it was really kind of like getting this these two characters backstories betty's backstory and then getting um uh blaze what was her original name blaze yeah yeah cheryl cheryl blossom (laughs) yeah there you go yeah and and kind of getting her sort of backstory and Mm -hmm. both of them are just i mean it's just it's rough it's a rough yeah. story it, it the whole thing is rough like it's it's horror but then it's like i mean horror to me sometimes can be really fun it's like murder and slasher i mean not that murder is fun or anything but like they can make fun with it but this one is like depth and drama and backstory and flashbacks and reasons why people are reacting in the present moment like they are and and where betty comes from she comes from a bullied big sister and um that's kind of what veronica was also to her you know like uh, she bullied her and she took it she could tolerate it because she was used to it at home you know Mm -hmm. and it just showed their dynamic there as well and she kisses Archie, so that's a first for this one. Yeah, yeah, it's it. That's a nice, sweet moment. Although Veronica gets you know pissed off at her later and wants to put the the diary in the fire and everything. So it's yeah. There's all kinds of drama happening, and just mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a meaty issue. It's a meaty issue. 
You gotta have drama. Gotta, gotta have, have drama. Gotta have it. <laughs> <laughs> Teenage girls, oh, there's gonna be drama. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, uh, the next issue, basically, they're going into to Christmas, and mm-hmm. uh, oof, the next issue is probably my favorite out of the entire series. Really? Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Chapter eight: A Ghost Story. To begin with, Jason Blo- Blossom was dead, as dead as a doornail. And so you got that reference. That's basically like a, um, it's a Dickens. It's because uh, I think oh. um, a Christmas story opens. The first line is, um, "What was? How did this one go?" I'm, um, da, 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 da. So I think to begin with, I think it says Jacob Marley was dead. Dead is a doornail. I think that I think oh. you just replaced it with with Jacob Marley. I think that's okay. what. Yeah. Whoa! See, I didn't know that. That's cool. All right. And I've never read Christmas Carol. I'm just going off of what <laughs> what I've heard. I'm, I, I didn't read the, that. The Muppets Christmas Christmas Carol. Side note is that? one of my top three favorite Christmas movies of all times is Muppet Muppets Christmas Carol. We're Marley and Marley. <laughs> That's a great one. Yes. Yes. I can't wait to show that to my future kids one day. That'll be <laughs> be good. One month later, on Christmas Eve at the Bradley Hotel in Vermont, Archie sits at a bar talking to someone about the recent events. One month ago, Cheryl Blossom came out of the woods covered in blood and mud and announced her brother Jason was dead. Maybe it finally got to be too much and Cheryl went all, I spit on your grave on Jason, said the person talking to Archie. Side note, side note, that's a... That's a crazy <laughs> reference. Have you ever watched I Spit on Your Grave? No, but I know there's I Spit on Your Grave 2, I Spit on Your Grave 3, and I think I Spit on Your Grave 4. <laughs> okay, yeah, so the the premise of I Spit on Your Grave is that um, a young lady like moves into this like the deep south type of thing and this is like uh-huh. this movie came back in like it came out in like 75, 77, something like that. And um, she gets very extremely like on camera raped by a bunch of like hillbilly type of guys and then it becomes a revenge flick where she goes and just kills them all very very gruesomely and very fittingly but it's it's very much a an exploitation film a very much like a a shock exploitation film the the rape scene was very long in it which is what it's known for um but which is why i was like Wow, like p- putting that reference into this into the comic, I'm just like, man, this is not yeah. for kids at yeah. all because that movie should not be watched. <laughs> period. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a rough one. Dang. It's a rough one to watch, but that's the reference that they're that he's making. That basically the the illusion is that that they're like the, the killing. Then she kills people brutally afterwards. So that's what that's where that was coming from. But man, that was oh, that's man. a rough reference right there. Dang. Whew. Archie explains that Cheryl said the twins were attacked by zombies and Jason jumped in the middle to save Cheryl, but Archie doesn't think this is something that Jason would actually do. We now see that Archie is talking to a non-zombified Jughead. Jughead serves Archie root beer in the hotel bar. Archie continues to tell his story to Jughead. When the group found out about Cheryl, Dr. Large said, We cannot have a murderer in our midst. Archie said the group should vote if Cheryl stays or goes. Mr. Lodge, Veronica, Smithers, Nancy, and Chuck all voted that Cheryl goes. Reggie, Dilton, Ginger, Betty, Archie's mom, and Archie all voted Cheryl should stay with the group. Kevin chose to abstain from the vote. The votes were in. Cheryl stays with the group. But something strange happened that night. While Betty and Archie were kissing in their room, Cheryl asked Betty to follow her. She led her to a room with all the other girls. Sherry started... Cheryl... 
Cheryl started getting emotional and said that she wanted to tell them what actually happened to Jason. When Betty got back into the room with Archie, she wouldn't tell Archie what she said, but asked if Archie believed in evil because she was starting to. That moment, Archie believed Betty's innocence and hope was taken away. At that moment, Archie asked Jughead how they are talking. Archie says he's a ghost. And Archie thought so. But why now? Because it's Christmas time and ghosts get all bumpy, says Jughead. Back within the hotel, Reggie finds a skateboard in a box and starts to ride it through the halls. While skating, he runs into a non-zombified hot dog. He looks up to find the entire ghostly crew of Riverdale looking at Reggie. No zombie in sight. Jughead says he wanted to make sure to mess with Reggie. Archie's mom walks into his room. She was all dressed up for Christmas. She found a dress somewhere in the hotel and thought it would be nice to be, you know, look put together for Christmas. As they walk to the Christmas gathering with the others, Archie questions if they all should have stayed at Riverdale, a place he once considered very safe. Archie's mom tells him the story her grandmother told her when she was little. During the war, all the young men of Riverdale were drafted to fight. Many men died, and she believed all hope and promise were lost in the young town of Riverdale. The founding families had a meeting one night in town hall. They wondered how they could protect the young town. One of them had the idea to visit the witches of Greendale to ask for protection. The head of the families visited the witches where they were promised protection on one condition. Each of the three founding members' families had to sacrifice one child to the witches for three generations as tribute to the elder gods of Carcosa. They agreed. Years pass and one child from each family died at a very young age. Archie quickly calculates that he is the last generation. While everyone gathered for Christmas, a ghostly Jughead and his dead sister Jellybean talk on the stairs overlooking the group. Jellybean talks about how she will forever miss Christmas and the fun traditions that came with it. Jughead asks her if the witches were scary when they took her away. She says they were. They flew her to a school overlooking the ocean. This is the same school that Sabrina was in in Chapter 6. Archie approaches Betty to ask her something. Mary, marry me, Betty. Be my wife. She says yes, but not until her 18th birthday. That is in three months. Three months. So, whew, man. It, this, this comic is so good because it just tells the story. I mean, the story's not really even moving forward. They're just kind of going from different location to different location, but they're just... They're, the authors are just trying to show, I think, like the significance of the moment, you know, the combination of people left. And digging into the characters and the trauma that they're living with. Uh, obviously, this is this issue is very much, um, you know, a Christmas Carol mixed with The Shining because the yeah. whole thing with Archie talking to Jughead, Ghost, you know, that's, that's a Shining reference right there. Um, and... I mean, how sad was that? Those two panels when Archie's like, okay, am I going crazy or are you a ghost? And just the look of sadness on Jughead's face where he's like, I'm a ghost. Like, sorry, Mm -hmm. bud, you know? And it's like, okay, good. I'm not going crazy, but, you know, you're still dead. And it just, it's it's nice that they actually get this moment, though, that they can communicate Mm -hmm. because my understanding of Archie is that at its core, it's the friendships, right? It's the, yeah. the friendship of Archie and Jughead are the main, you know, two main characters, but then Betty and Veronica, and then all of these other characters like sort of surround them. But uh, Archie and Jughead are usually the, the central core to these, the Archie comic books. So it was really nice to actually see Archie have, a, have talked to his best friend and just mm-hmm. how just sad is it to just have your friend be dead, right? Like, yeah. I mean, 
I thought it was like him talking to Arch, uh, Jughead from the future, like in the future, and he's like going back, saying how it was before they like unzombified him or something. You know what I mean? Like I thought like maybe Sabrina would come came back and fix it, and they were just showing how Archie's like. Remember that one time you tried to kill everyone, but no, he was really dead, and that made it even sadder. And it was Christmas time, and oh my goodness, yeah. I now you picked up on it, but I had a hard time figuring out who Jellybean was, who the girl was that uh, Jughead was talking to. So that's mm-hmm. his, that's Jughead's little sister? Yeah, I had to look it up. Yeah, Jellybean is his sister. So they, you looked it up, so they didn't mention it in this comic, did they? No, um, I think you had to know. Like, okay. you had to know the Archie gang. That's cool. Then that's, okay, that's neat. Then they, I like that. I like how they have stuff in there for people that are hardcore, you know, Archie fans to, to know. But overall, I, I, I just thought this issue was just very melancholy you know Mm -hmm. it wasn't as like you know wasn't as like gruesome it was just more like sad and melancholy and how and just ghostly and and you know you're haunted by the ghosts of your past both real and and you know metaphysical or or meta i'm sorry what is it uh metaphorical sorry both both real and metaphorically (laughs) haunted um and why was this your favorite chapter though I don't know. I just, I guess I liked the the sadness to it. I liked Mm -hmm. that they were able to, uh, by they, I mean the creative team was able to, uh, was able to elicit an emotional response from me. And Uh, just on that page, just, it was mostly just a Jughead talking to Archie, Archie talking to Jughead, you know, ghost. It was more of that. It just, it just felt so sad. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was. And, and the little girl was one of the generations of the... How about the families uh, agreeing to protection for their own kin being taken away? And Jellybean was one of them when she was young. That's just dark. And, and that's I, lo- I like the fact that it's not until this conversation right now that I piece the whole thing together. I, I understood that, you know, that quote unquote, who Jellybean was got taken by the witches and clearly sacrificed to Cthulhu. It's great that her ghost, you know, uh, that the, her soul was not consumed by Cthulhu. That's nice. Um, right. But I like that, <laughs> nice you know, you, you didn't just get it all told to you flat out. Like you have to, you have to pay attention and, you know, it, it, the comic mostly puts everything in the foreground for you, but this was a little one that you had to sort of piece together the jelly bean factor, I, I think. And I like that. I liked that they gave you something that wasn't all there and you had to sort of piece it together yourself. Right. And how about um, how Cheryl comes into the room to grab Betty and is like, uh, I got to tell you something. And she tells her what really happened. To, and all, then, yeah, tell, to all the women. Yeah. But yeah. And, and, but Archie doesn't, she doesn't ever tell, Ar- Betty doesn't tell Archie. I like right. that. It, it I everything I like the way they sort of handle these crazy situations in realistic manners you mm-hmm. know I, I I don't feel like any of these characters are like going out of their way to be bad people I don't think any of these characters are going out of their way to do like stupid things or whatever but you know you have an emotionally damaged person that never dealt with their trauma and now all of a sudden there's no time to deal with your trauma now it's just that that's past like you have to live with it and now we live in a zombie society you know Mm -hmm. so like you have all these characters that just have there's no time to deal with your 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 issues that you're facing now Mm -mm. that's past unfortunately it doesn't matter anymore it doesn't they're all humbled by this experience and you know what i mean they grow up real quick 
Well, in some cases, and in, in, in other cases, like uh, in Jason's case, he got murdered because um, he and yeah. his sister didn't, you know, deal with their trauma and their issues growing up. And mm-hmm. she, she killed him, right or wrong, but, you know, she took away his chance to change. She took away his chance to redeem himself. Granted, I don't think he ever would, right? right. But you know that's the whole point that's the whole point you don't take the you know law into your own hands because you take away now that person's right to actually be better to be a better person right um, right but but that's the but that's what i like about it that's the the realistic spin is that yeah screw your monster you know i'm gonna kill you her you know that's the sister saying that mm-hmm. she's fed up with these quote unquote games they're not games she was sexually abused that's <laughs> not a game don't make no mistake about that whatsoever right yeah 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 i mean that's heavy stuff Ooh. like yeah they're dealing like that's i mean that's a very 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 heavy subject matter to be dealing with inside of a zombie comic that happens to be wrapped up in a in a in a in an in an archie comic like yeah (laughs) that's so much more than you i would ever expect and i would not want anyone young to read this this is i mean there's some comics that are quote unquote for mature readers but yeah this man i wouldn't have my kid read this until they were 15 or 16 at the very they wouldn't understand they wouldn't wouldn't get it you know yeah it was um off topic but we went to see the joker the other day and it was such a deep emotional mentally emotional emotionally exhausting film and there were kids in there i was like what they're gonna be messed up from this film so it's you i mean i wouldn't want to like censor kids so much they have to know what real life is but there's parts of their brain where they just are not going to be able to understand this kind of stuff yet you know yeah yeah Yeah. and uh i mean my my dad took me to see robocop um when i was like nine and uh (laughs) i saw a man melt you know in front of my eyes so yeah i I don't know if there's any right way to to do it but i don't i don't think that was the right way (laughs) to Mm, parents is that why you hate candles no (laughs) that's why i hate toxic waste Um, yeah (laughs) me too but this this is a cool issue and I, i guess i just loved it because they're just digging into these deep character studies that who the heck ex- who expected this in a, in a silly zombie comic i you know yeah. what? Th- that's <laughs> that's what it is mm-hmm. this could have been a silly zombie comic in the archie universe but it gets elevated to just unbelievably awesome status because it chooses to deal with these insane top well, not insane i mean sexual abuse happens but you don't expect for people to have to deal with that inside of a zombie movie but here we are and we're also dealing with it in a very i i don't know thoughtful manner in a very like thought out manner i guess i don't know if it's thoughtful but at least they're tackling it at least they're addressing it yeah, they consider they wanted to consider everybody's emotion because in any like zombie film other than like The Walking Dead, it's like, all right, there's zombies, and they never really talk about like the emotional trauma of losing their entire world. Other than The Walking Dead, of course, um, you know, not not like to this extent where it's like, oh man, yeah, that's <laughs> there ain't no therapist you can see for that. No, <laughs> no, no, it's <laughs> oof, it's a t- that those times are over with. Um, yes. I, I did like. Uh, I did like Jughead, mess, Ghost Jughead, messing with Reggie with like yeah. the other ghosts and, and whatnot. I thought that was kind of neat. That was a neat little thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, all in all, I thought it was a very, very 
emotional issue. And I, mm-hmm. I think the first time I read it, I just was not expecting that. I was not expecting Archie to be able to have a conversation with the ghost of his best friend and mm-hmm. just putting myself in that shoes of like, with one of my best friends were dead and I had to like have like a final ghostly conversation with them, just how sad that would be. Yeah. And he was like, how are we talking? Okay. He was like normal. He wasn't like, oh my God, Jughead, give me a hug. He was just sharing a root beer. Yep. You know. Just like just like you do. So Yeah. Oof. All right. So this next one is kind of heavy as well. But then the next one, chapter ten is real fun. Yeah, so. yeah. It kind of ends on a more of a not a lighthearted note, but yeah. <laughs> Here we go. All right. Chapter nine. The trouble with Reggie. Reggie Mantle tells the story about he saved four horses from a deserted farm. He gave them food, love, and nourished them back to health. When they were well, he brought them back to the gang where he was celebrated because those horses would certainly be a game changer. Provisions will be acquired quicker and the girls could scout within an hour instead of five. Mr. Lodge says these horses will make all the difference and could be the group's chance at survival. Veronica kisses Reggie on the cheek because he is so she is just so proud of him. Except he wasn't the one who found the horses. Archie and Betty were. Back at Riverdale High in the computer lab before the zombie apocalypse, Reggie, Archie, Jughead, and Dilton messed around on their computers. Dilton found an online quiz called Are You a Sociopath? Dilton reads aloud the questions and Reggie was quietly conflicted because some of the questions pointed to him possibly being a sociopath. Could this be true? Do you generally lack the ability to react emotionally? When Reggie goes to the movies, he sees a comedy. He can't help but wonder why everyone is laughing. The jokes aren't even funny. But when he goes to a horror movie, he wonders why everyone is so scared. Those movies are hilarious. Are you capable of loving? Reggie knew for sure he was capable of loving. He loved Midge more than he could ever say aloud. He was crazy about her, but she was hot and heavy with moose. But whenever Midge got into a fight with Moose, she would seek advice from Reggie, of which would always result in a makeout session by the lake. Sociopaths never feel guilt. Reggie carried the heavy burden of guilt. One day, not long before the zombie invasion, Midge asked Reggie to Pops to talk. She was in desperate need of $500 from Reggie for an abortion of Moose's baby. Because Reggie loved her so, he agreed. While they were chatting, Moose approached the table to ask what the heck Reggie is doing talking to his girl. Reggie asked Moose, Has anyone ever told you that you sound like a goon out of a Dick Tracy comic strip? In rage, Moose beats up Reggie. On his ride home that evening, Reggie is furious and wants to hurt someone. He sees Hot Dog crossing the road and swerves to purposefully hit him. He immediately regrets the decision, but instead of taking Hot Dog to the vet, he puts him on Jughead's front lawn to die. Reggie tells this story to Kevin. He says he is the one to blame for the zombie apocalypse. Kevin is absolutely furious with him. How could he do that to Jughead? Reggie thinks there is something wrong with him, something broken. Kevin tells him that he needs to tell the group now. Reggie cannot bear going back to camp to tell the others, so he tells Kevin that he is going to branch off on his own. Kevin tries to stop him, but he doesn't want to risk danger. 
Kevin runs back to the group to tell them about Reggie. Archie thinks they should start a search party, but Veronica and Betty both think that he did what he did to Hot Dog is so terrible they shouldn't go looking for him. Betty says Reggie no longer deserves to be Archie's best man at their wedding. Archie agrees and asks Kevin to be his best man instead. The group decides to not tell the others what Archie did to Hot Dog, but to explain that he just simply disappeared. When Reggie roams around the woods, he remembers the time after sixth grade when he, Archie, and Jughead built a treehouse in Archie's backyard. Archie's parents helped the kids, and Reggie remembers being jealous of the love Archie's parents had for Archie. Did that make him a sociopath? While the parents were away one day, Archie tripped and accidentally knocked Jughead out of the tree. The boys rushed Jughead to the hospital. He broke his leg. Mrs. Jones said Jughead was really lucky to have Archie and Reggie as his best friends. At that moment, Reggie sees the army of the damned. He approaches them because he wants to be eaten and torn apart as fast as possible. He is done with this life. Oddly, the zombie horde avoids Reggie and walks around him to reveal Jughead, the king of the zombies, and Hot Dog, the dog of doom, snarling at him. Just as Reggie thinks hot dogs will attack him, Sabrina appears floating with her eyes glazed white. She is obviously under a spell. She says, Reggie Mantle, our dark prince. She explains that her dark master is grateful for him for starting the recent events with an act of violence by hitting hot dog. Her master wants to reward him. She says, there is one thing you still crave in the twisted little heart of yours. Midge, Reggie replies. Sabrina explains that she will make Midge whole again. Midge will do whatever he wants and he can do whatever he wants to her. But in order to make this happen, he needs to do one more thing. Kill Betty Cooper. Reggie replies, sure, why not? Why not? You'll do anything for love. Anything for Midge. He doesn't. He never had love. I mean... Yeah, I mean, that's not love. That's that's a twisted obsession. Love. And yeah. Midge was, uh, uh, did him no favors by always kind of using him as the fallback for when her and Moose, you know. Um, again, not knowing anything about Archie, I didn't really know this connection, but I find it interesting, or I enjoyed it because it, you know, Midge and Moose kind of died a little unceremoniously in like issue yeah. three or four. Mm-hmm. And now you go and find out that, you know, Midge had such importance to Reggie. I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. I'm glad they didn't just uh, like tackle it right then and there. But it mm-hmm. was actually a big deal to Reggie that 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 happened. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's sad. Again, it's another very sad thing, but also extremely relatable. We all know like what would you do if john you know got turned into a zombie would you you know like would you be the harbinger of doom to bring him back to be with him you know i mean i know are you asking (laughs) (laughs) i mean i would destroy the world if uh myra got turned into a zombie to to be with her so I, i totally get it like you know i i i understand but I don't understand what it's like to be a sociopath though and reggie yeah. clearly is uh i thought it was a little goofy for them to kind of illustrate that he was a sociopath by <laughs> by having like him listen to a uh like an online questionnaire yeah that's how they could bring it in like you know how else would they really bring it in yeah you know, that's I, I those questionnaires. I don't know. What are you gonna say? No, I, I, and I, I know. And as I say that, I think it's goofy. I don't know of a better way to do it. I don't right. know of another way to do it. And it conveyed the information that we needed it to convey, which it gave us insight into what is Reggie's problem and you know mm-hmm. how his mind thinks and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, my and the only other question I had 
about this issue was, so they're just back on the road. They didn't stay in the hotel um, for more than just that one issue, I guess. Oh, good question. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, why did they even leave the hotel? Isn't that like a safe place? Yeah, that's, yeah. that was my takeaway because this issue almost felt like it huh. took place in the issue prior to the last one when they were all on the road. Yeah, yeah. So I, I huh. assumed that when they got to the hotel, they were just going to stay there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that I thought that was a little unclear. Um, but I guess they just only stayed in the hotel for Christmas or whatever and then moved on, I guess. I just, I just wish it would have said something like, we left the hotel and now yeah. we're heading, because we don't know where even where they're heading to. It, it should have been the, like, this almost should have been, the, like you said, the chapter before the last one. Because it really buttoned up nice when Archie proposed to Betty in the last chapter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe, I wonder if they were somehow written out of order and or, or written in order and then produced out of order be- well betty does say she said well now reggie's not your best man anymore yeah in this chapter so i guess maybe to because it that's how I, I when you said that i was like no that's what makes it sequential you know what i mean that's the only way we'd know that it's oh sequential. that's right that's right yeah because you know he proposed in the last yep yep you're 100 yeah. correct um good good call there good call there so yeah he proposed in the last issue so okay then i just wish like i said i just wish they put something at the beginning where he reggie was like okay we're on the move again that's it right just right. something that said that let us know yeah exactly yeah. exactly um but all in all i i liked the insight into reggie because um i am a firm believer that and he even says it uh at the very beginning like villains always think they're doing the right thing like you don't you when you write a villain you no interesting villain is a villain that just knows they're a bad guy right like mm-hmm. like you know darth vader if you just take darth vader he <laughs> he thinks what he's doing is is you know the whole galaxy will be at peace under right. their regime, right? So technically, I, I mean, I'm sure he's aware of what he's doing, but he thinks he's doing it for the greater good, right? Right. Um, all villains, they don't realize that they're the villains of their story. They they think that they're the hero of their story. They they all do. Um, I would say the only different, like the only exception to that rule is, uh, have you seen Firefly and Serenity, right? Uh, oh yes that's our favorite i love in serenity that the bad guy in serenity he the exception is he knows he's a bad guy and he says it he's Mm -hmm. like i know i'm the bad guy here and that's (laughs) but that's joss whedon joss whedon always takes standard tropes and then flips them on their side and and Mm -hmm. in a in a good way like in a very well way but yeah joss whedon like Everyone knows, like, writing 101 is that bad guys always think that they're the good guys. And then Joss Whedon was like, no, I'm going to make this one bad guy know he's the bad guy. And that actually <laughs> and continue. makes him. And, and continue. And that's what makes him so scary is because he what he thinks he's doing is righteous, uh, but he also knows what he's doing is wrong. Um, right. But spinning back to Reggie, you know, it was nice to get all of this insight into him and to see, you know, the, the happy times that him and Jughead and Archie had growing up and the connection that they had because even though we don't have any more issues after the next one you know having a little backstory into what is clearly going to be the new antagonist that is Reggie it's nice to have a little bit of backstory to it 
And how about um, when the zombie horde kind of surrounds him and, or not even surrounds him, they avoid him. He just wants to be torn to shreds. He's done. He's like, he's committing suicide. He's done. And then Sabrina shows up and now he's being rewarded. Is this like the moment, like you were saying, like where the villain is, you know, he's like, no, I did the right thing. You know, I'm doing the right thing. The world was damned. Yes. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, Sabrina I came so. back. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, Sabrina, we did get to see Sabrina for a brief second, and with all of her Cthulhu tentacles, like, coming mm-hmm. out, you know, from behind her and everything, but... It was it was a cool issue. What did you think about this issue as a whole? Um, I liked it. I mean, if they didn't put it in the volume, it wouldn't have really affected the store. Well, no, I take that back because the second part when they when Sabrina comes back and they they realize that like they're all blaming Sabrina this whole time. It's her fault. It's her fault. But it's actually Reggie's fault because he purposely hit a dog. So Reggie be damned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you purposely hit if you purposely hit a dog, yeah, yeah. you are damned in in my yeah. book. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. it's it's no I mean, yeah, I don't know if it's any one fault though. It's Reggie was part of it, Jughead was part of it to take it to Sabrina and then Sabrina's part of it too. It's the trifecta. Teamwork. Yeah, it's the dream work, it, right? It <laughs> takes teamwork to end the world. Oh, it's <laughs> You guys have heard it here first. It takes teamwork. <laughs> to destroy oh, the world. <laughs> yeah. Please nobody destroy the world. I like the world. Yeah, I do too. It's, it's pretty cool place. There's comic books in it. Yeah. It is a cool place. <laughs> <laughs> comic books are cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, cool. Oh, man. We got to get that on a t-shirt. Oh, we will. O's. Oh, we will. We will. Don't worry about you, that. <laughs> yeah. Watch out, people. Um, well... Uh, how about the next chapter though? Cause it's a, uh, it's a good one. It's a, it's a fun one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, let's get into it. But this pretty yeah. much ends the, the story arc of, of Arch, yeah. Arch, Archibald and, and all of them. So, but I, I like this issue, the, the one with Josie and the Pussycats. It's really neat. It's different. And it, and if I were to just have any one issue from the whole thing, if I could only have one issue, it would be this one. Cause it's a very different story. Yeah. It's got vampires. Ooh. <laughs> I want to suck your blood. All right. That was my best vampire. Speaking of, uh, Myra and I just finished what we do in the shadows season one. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's so good. That was seen- one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. And if right? you guys have, uh, listeners out there have Hulu, it's, uh, the whole first season's on Hulu right now. And 10 episodes, 30 minutes a pop. It goes down easy. It is oh a f- great show. I cannot wait for season two. I, it, it brings, it's like, okay, if vampires were, had that documentary style office effect, but following vampires. <laughs> following <laughs> like, moron vampires. Moron. <laughs> um, just, I'm, I gotta watch that after this. Oh my God, it's so funny. And the, the if you only have time for the movie, it, the movie is gold as well. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I, I've never laughed out loud so much. Oh, man. I wish that was a comic book. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I do, too. <laughs> Actually, I do, too. That would be a good comic. Yeah. <laughs> How would they do that? Like, documentary-style comic book? Yeah. Like, no, I guess you know? this is probably... TV's probably the best medium for it. Yeah. We can only dream, right? <laughs> All right. Chapter 10. Interview interlude with the Pussycats. 
quote, before the end of the world. At the Chateau Marmont in Los Angeles on Halloween before the plague, Josephine sits with an interviewer to reveal her life story. Josephine is one-third of the very successful Josie and the Pussycats band. Josephine explains that she was born in 1906. Her father abandoned her and her mother died minutes after she was born. A person on the street saw the young lonely babe and left her at a local orphanage that was run by a terrible woman named Miss Cabot. Josephine roomed with three other girls who all quickly became her family. They all had a mutual love for singing and would sing as they did their demanding chores at the orphanage. Miss Cabot started seeing a man they called Uncle Buddy. Uncle Buddy thought they could make money off the girls' singing talents and started putting them on stage in front of an audience. They called them the Cabot Sisters. The Cabot Sisters did the vaudeville circuit, starting in a young town called Riverdale. They were very successful and pleased audiences far and wide. However, when they got to Georgia, Valerie, the African-American gal of the group, was bullied by the locals. One night, a brick flew through her bedroom window and the KKK were outside carrying a burning cross. A very scary moment for a teenage girl. In the 1920s, the Cabot sisters booked a show at the Palace Theater on Broadway in New York City. Before the show, Uncle Buddy informed them that he would marry Pepper after the show. Pepper nor the other girls had a say in the matter. They feared the violence that might ensue if they protested. After the show, the girls were approached by a man to attend the party that he was having at his millionaire home this evening. His name was Henry Irving. The performers left Pepper behind to marry Uncle Buddy and rode with Mr. Irving to his mansion party. At the party, Jeeves the butler told Josephine that Mr. Irving would like to speak with her. She met him outside on his veranda gazing at the stars. He told her she was a star and deserved to live forever if she wanted to. Josephine agreed and was whisked away with Mr. Irving to a place where they could get some quiet alone time and live happily ever after. Just kidding. He chomped into her neck and she morphed into a vampire. The next morning, Melody and Valerie caught Josephine in sheets covered with blood and gore. The new vampiress felt different sensations like enhanced hearing and smelling abilities and a sensitivity to light. On their way out of the mansion, Josephine ran into Jeeves, who passed on a simple message from Mr. Irving. You're welcome. Before she talked about the night's events, Josephine asked Melody and Valerie if they wanted to live forever. She found a dark, quiet house and chomped into the girls' necks so they would turn into vampires as well. The three vampires loved their new identities and decided to go underground to reinvent themselves. They emerged during World War II and started their musical careers all over again as the G.I. Dolls. At night, they helped their American allies and attacked their enemies. In the 1950s, they were the Teen Queens. In the 1960s, they were the Velvets. And during the 60s, they witnessed the aftermath of the murders of their pals Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski. Josephine says this was not a Manson murder, murder, but rather a Mr. Irving murder to show his disdain for the girls' success. In the 1970s, they were Queens of the Disco. In the 1980s, after a show, Josephine ran into a very old pepper, the girl that married Uncle Buddy, the fourth girl from their Cabot Girl days. She begged Josephine to make her young and strong like her so she could rejoin the group. Josephine refused because she knew Pepper would continue to be an old lady. Pepper reminded her that she owes her for leaving her behind with those awful people. She threatened to tell everyone who the girl group really was. 
Josephine killed Pepper and labeled it as a mercy killing. In the 1990s, the girl group took over London as the Sugar and Spice Girls. In the early 2000s, they were Twilight's Child, and now they are Josie and the Pussycats, soon to perform at the Super Bowl. Josephine explains to her interviewer that it feels so good to get that all off her chest and proceeds to take the interviewer to her hotel room with Melody and Valerie where he quickly becomes their lunch. On their private jet, Josie and the Pussycats fly to a benefit concert for Riverdale High. The stewardess tells them that the pilot says there are riots and fires all over Riverdale. The girls are up for a challenge because they can't die and decide to land anyway. The end. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a cool issue. Do you do you remember the Josie and the Pussycats uh, cartoon on Hanna Barbera that was from I believe the late seventies, early eighties? No, I don't. Yeah, that's do you. Yeah, that's that's my like connect. That's my experience with Josie and the Pussycats. I knew that it was a brand that originated on Archie, but I knew them as their own standalone cartoon. And then they would pop up in Scooby Doo. I think they had. I think they had an issue or an episode with Scooby Doo where there's a crossover because Hanna Barbera, you know, owned both of them. Um, and then I think they were on that Wacky Racers show that was in the late '70s, early '80s on on Hanna Barbera. Um, but yeah, so. I like that they took this wholesome, these wholesome characters that I've known pretty much my entire life and turned them into vampires, which is cool because, you know, it almost, it's almost sort of meta where it it explains how they can still be relevant since the fifties and still look the same. And by that, I mean like to us as the viewer. And yet, you know, they've been around since like 1906 or something. I I just, I liked it. It was very meta. And then kind of the only way to explain that meta is for them to be vampires, for them to essentially be immortal, immortal, like what were they like 17, 18 year olds or so. I think they're actually 16 or something. Um, they said, um, so I thought that was really cool. And I like a good, I like a good, uh, uh, vampire yarn that, that, goes the course of like 100 years essentially i think it was it was fun it was a neat little distraction but sadly it was a distraction it, it was a it was at its core it was a filler issue you know to to fill fill any kind of gaps but as you know as it being the end issue uh, with no more coming it's kind of a little lackluster yeah but then i started thinking man if they did a third volume do josie and the pussycats are they able to attack zombies like have vampires ever attacked zombies like i don't see what what the like what why they wouldn't be able to fight zombies i think they would make very short work of the zombies i think they would tear through them pretty pretty easily but at the same time these zombies are not just straight up like the biological zombies they are uh pushed forward by dark forces and dark magic so i i don't know you know like pretty much anything could happen but as a standalone thing just as a story all completely unto itself it's it's cool because you really you could own this one issue and not own anything else because that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It really has no connection whatsoever. Um, e- even the Sabrina one, same thing. You really wouldn't even need to read anything else. Uh, but that, although Sabrina one's a little bit more, you got to sort of understand what's happening. This one's more of an origin story for Josie and the Pussycats, but it was cool. It was very, very cool. And I, you know, and just like with all the other things that, that they've been doing with, with Archie, you know, they give these great little insights and, you know, she was like, I wish I could tell you that, you know, it was, it was like a beautiful thing, but 
I, I like how she was like, anytime your humanity gets ripped away, it's painful and it's, you know, horrifying. And, you know, I, I liked how, you know, there was no beauty and illusion to to being turned into a vampire. I, I liked how it was essentially just your humanity getting sh- shredded away from you. Right. And and you know what? Maybe they were like, they didn't know if they were going to have a third volume and they wanted to make sure that they hit all the characters for this afterlife with Archie world. And so they're like, you know what? We got to throw in the Josie and the Pussycats and make it work, you know? Yeah, but at the same time, if I knew that there were going to be no more, I would have rather have taken this issue and tried to wrap the main storyline up. But clearly, I assume they moved forward, assuming there were going to be more, because they even say at the end of this next, you know, they even call, they even give you what the next, you know, issue is is named. It's like um, Witches of Riverdale or something like yeah, that. I'm yeah, I'm going there now. Let's see. Oh no, it's called uh, next is the Wedding Crashers. Oh, wedding. I remember yeah. a W wedding. Yeah, wedding, but yeah. this this was. Uh, uh, judging this was back in 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 2016 uh so yeah it's i mean that's three years ago it's it's it ain't happening yeah. <laughs> you know, i'm telling you now oh, it, it yeah. ain't gonna happen so <laughs> i don't know i don't know what happened i'm curious if there's any you know anyone out there who knows what happens or knows why or have a link to an article as to what happened to this please (laughs) you know send it to us put it on one of our social you know media sites facebook or whatever but i'll see if i can look it up i'm curious myself but um yeah yeah as a whole though this issue was fun you liked it too right this this one yeah i did it's my favorite one yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah I did. I like that they brought in vampires and that, you know, from a from a female standpoint, it was like a little, you know, they, they kicked booty. They came back. They made money. They ruled the world and nobody knew. Oh, and during the war, they killed the enemies. Mm-hmm. Yes, they killed Nazis. <laughs> that was and she you get the sense, too, that they're not. They're, they don't they don't kill people all the time because she even said I think Josie said something about like you can't always live off of fake blood and everything that she needed to hunt occasionally so you get the sense that I think she only feeds like this once every maybe 20 years or something on like a, a living person because I think they're still supposed to be kind of the, the good guys even though they're vampires I don't think they want to be bad guys the only reason why they come across as bad guys is because they hungry they, they gotta eat they gotta eat you know you gotta eat. So. yeah well, as a whole, this is, you know, this is now two episodes back to back of doing this. So mm-hmm. we have a bigger, you have a bigger perspective of the story here as a whole. What did you think, not just of these back five, but just the series as a whole, if it were concluded now, which it looks like it is? I mean, I, I loved it because tis the season. Um, so it was perfect. And I'm glad that we do- dove into these because you kept bringing it up. And not even just you, but like it's for the horror comic wall at like all the comic book shops. It's right there, like right in the center. Like it's a it's a classic now, I guess. Like it's a must read. So but I loved it because it was a different take on an old story. And it was honestly like and everybody knows it's just for fun. It's just it's a what if it's like a Marvel what if what if Riverdale was overtaken by zombies and it was it was done the zombies were zombies but the fact that they really dove into each character and made us care for them like I almost wish they killed off a main character so that we could feel that pain but 
now when I say that, it's like there was a lot of pain that those characters did carry and they made us feel, which is really special. And like, I don't understand why people, I mean, if anybody talks bad about comics, like they should read this one. You will feel something with with this one. And if you don't, you may be a sociopath. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. Yeah. What about you? You liked it. You pretty much nailed it on the head. Uh, For me, I, I think it's great. I think it's the cream of the crop when it comes to horror comic books. The art, you know, elevates it there. The story elevates it. But what really put it just knocked it home for me was all these just wonderful little sad character moments. And just the fact that this comic could make me feel something for these characters. And it's just eliciting that kind of a response from me who I've been reading comics pretty much my entire life. And this comic literally moved me and I'm not saying I'm a sociopath, but you know, I I don't get moved too often. And I was like, man, this is just, this is rough stuff. Every mm-hmm. issue is just rough stuff. But I appreciate the fact that, that they l- allow the rough stuff to actually breathe, to actually exist, to actually mm-hmm. tackle these deeper traumatic problems. It's not just zombies attacking people. And, and I mean, I, I read 100 issues of Walking Dead and yeah. this got me to feel more for characters in 10 issues than Walking Dead did sometimes in 100 issues. So wow. yeah, this That's is That's saying a lot. Yeah, this is this is this is high quality right here. This is just this is the good stuff, right? Like like we're this is yeah. <laughs> it's all lower okay, moving forward like you know the, we're reading the cream of the crop here pretty much i just <laughs> for horror yeah. yeah i just wish it continued i wish it it didn't end um i wish i i had any kind of answers for for you guys and you know moving forward we should have probably probably looked into it you know, just to talk about what we have, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's hard. A lot of times you want to talk about what we don't have, but it's always better to just talk about what's there, right? Yeah, and yeah. Then, then what's not there. And what's there, even though there, you don't have a very satisfying conclusion, what's there is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I would implore anybody to, to get it, to pick these, to pick these issues up. Perfect time for Halloween. It's it's a great Halloween story, even though there's no real conclusion to it. It's still a, a, a fantastically macabre story, and the artwork's just unbelievable, just mm-hmm. unbelievable. You just want to pour over every single page. Um, it's a good this and Chilling uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, even though they're two different you know universes or whatever timelines continuities they're nice little companion pieces to go together and you can have yourself a nice little just dark month of horror yes yes or or beyond that you know yeah yeah it's it doesn't have to be just october (laughs) yeah well uh that is three of four wait what are we on excuse me that's four of five because there's five weeks in october (laughs) four of five horror comics and Corey, our next one is elvira Elvira, mistress of the dark i'm so excited because if y'all know me and you follow me on social media you know that elvira is my queen of halloween she liked my 
she liked my picture of me wearing her shirt. I saw. And I freaked out. <laughs> you did. You did freak out. I and hey, I totally get it. I I totally get the freak out. Um, you get. You have your freak out moments, oh yeah. friend. And oh you yeah. message me. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. No, totally. <laughs> totes. I totes get you on that one. <laughs> Oh, I, I love awesome. Elvira too. I actually met her at a convention in Maryland when I think I was 14 years old, maybe 13 years old. <laughs> this is it, a great moment. It's a gr- <laughs> I, got, I don't know where the picture is. I'll try to dig it up. Um, it <gasps> yes. might be at my mom's house back in Maryland. But aside from you know me, me and Elvira, I am sporting a fantastic mullet. <laughs> Are think, you really? Yeah. Like with your red hair? <laughs> circa, circa like probably 92, 93, Amazing. something like that maybe. And wow. so, oof, it's it's not oh, pretty, man. guys. Please find that so we could post that. Come I, on, Corey. I will try to find it. It <laughs> might be on my Facebook. I'll, I will scour it and try to find it. If I find it, I will post it on the – uh, the ongoing comic book discussion podcast, uh, Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> yes, please. I would love to see that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. So, all right. Well, until next time, Tess, where can we find you online? You can find me on Instagram at Tessianos. That's T-E-S-S-L-L-A-N-O-S. And where can we find you, Corey, my friend? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Corey Nation. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to plug podcasting after dark this month. We're doing um, an all Return of the Living Dead retrospective month. We're, we're reviewing Return of the Living Dead parts one and part two. And... Uh, we interviewed Tom Matthews, who played Freddy in Return of the Living Dead. So Woo. look for that um, uh, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Podcasting After Dark. But speaking of Apple Podcasts and Spotify, if you can give Ongoing Comic Book Discussion Podcast a five-star rating and leave us a review, and even better, share us with your friends. Share us on mm-hmm. Facebook. Share us on social media and be like, hey, guys, got a really cool comic book podcast here for y'all to check out. And that's that's the best thing you can do for us right there, sharing us with other people. That's that's, that's all we can... That's the highest compliment, yeah, right? <laughs> that's really the best we could hope for. But uh, but if you got five, five seconds, if you got five seconds and you have an iPhone, boy, oh, boy, those those Apple Podcast reviews, they they are awesome. And we could really, uh, really use them. And uh, they help, they do help us find new new people on Apple Podcasts, new subscribers, new listeners, and everything. So and we appreciate all the reviews you guys have already you guys and gals have already left us. We appreciate all the love and support you've shown us since we launched. It's honestly it's been overwhelming how much love and support we've gotten. So I, yeah. I love it. It's fantastic. And I really, really enjoy talking to you about comic books, Tess. This is great. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's it's like with um with podcasting after dark. It's like my only time I get to really watch these like horror movies and stuff because I just don't have the time. So now it's like, oh, cool! I have a reason to actually read comic books again because before we started this, <laughs> yeah. I just didn't have that much time to do it. But I'm like, yeah, this this I love reading comics and I love talking about comics and I love having a reason to do it. And you are a fantastic, fantastic co-host to to Woo. bounce Aww. all of this off with so i I do really enjoy it oh well thank you for all of your comic book insight i'm officially a comic book uh nerd nerd comic book nerd proud comic book nerd that's right uh, wear it with pride 
comic books are cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in for another spooky episode of Ongoing Comic Book Discussion. We'll see you next time for yet, for last but not least, Elvira. See you next time, guys. Bye. This has been another episode of Ongoing Comic Book Discussion with Tess and Corey. Follow us at OCD Podcast on Instagram and Ongoing Comic Book Discussion Podcast on Facebook. You can also review us on iTunes, follow us on Spotify, and support us on Patreon. Tune in next week for another episode of Ongoing Comic Book Discussion with Tess and Corey.